Hello and welcome to episode 108 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We're going to go ahead and entitle this episode, insert title here for obvious reasons, not just a cheeky, we weren't clever enough to come up with the title for the name of this episode. But nonetheless, my name is Jonathan Reimer and I would like to welcome my co-hosts, Christian Aparicio and Christian Signs. Gentlemen, good evening. Welcome. How are we all doing tonight? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Excited. This is the week of the season starting for LAFC. Finally having a game at the bank at full capacity post-COVID, quote-unquote. Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys and catching up. Things are good. You know, I ended up having COVID this last week, as you guys know. Everything is good. Fortunately for me and my family, it was fairly light, especially hearing what other people go through. So we're just recovering through that and, uh, you know, excited for this uh, opening weekend. Speaking of opening weekends, this Saturday, we are kicking off season five for LAFC. We got a game versus the Colorado Rapids kickoff at 1230. The infamous return of Mark Anthony K to the bank to face LAFC 2.0. After we run through some news and notes, we are going to come back with our game predictions. But gentlemen, before we dive in too deep, I just want some initial emotions and feelings as we approach the start of the season. How are you feeling about ball finally kicking off on season five? I'm anxious. I'm optimistic. I I don't know. Full of anticipation. Can't wait to just feel the drums, smell the grass, see all the fans at the stadium it's something i've been looking forward to i'm excited i think that the roster was put together and it's definitely a different look a different feel to this lafc squad we have the new gaffer and some new players that we've never had the opportunity to see in a for a full 90 minutes i think that it's going to be an interesting time it's going to be i think there's a lot of excitement in the air and i think that there was a lot of fans who were uncomfortable with how the off season was was beginning but now if you were to go back and ask those same people I think a lot of a lot of fans are happier in a better position that they feel the club is in a better position now than they were back in December and with that I I think that that just leads to a lot of people being optimistic and looking forward to this weekend I think it's going to be a good test too because Colorado was the top seeded team in the west this last season and for good reason And I think it'll be a good test to the beginning of the season to see how we're going to fare. Yes, I am ecstatic. Massive, massive weekend ahead of us. I'm a little disappointed that the kickoff's at 1230. I was kind of hoping we could get a full proper tailgate, full day celebration of LAFC in. But I also kind of like that it's forcing people to kind of still be in their prime of the day when they get into the stadium. I'm hoping 3252 is loud and boisterous. We got a little taste of that a couple of days ago. We'll hit on that in a second, but I just can't wait to to open the lungs up and and sing for LAFC again. It's been too long, and I feel like we're finally going to have some numbers back in the bank now that the COVID tide is receding a little bit and people's fears have sort of been quelled. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fantastic game Saturday. So much on the line, LAFC 2.0, new players, new coach, new system, new everything for the most part. Um, but hopefully same 32-52. So we'll see. And then Sunday, we got a big Fury home game, and we have a ton of people from D9U that are going to be heading out. And a bunch of LAFC peeps going to be doing a takeover for the Fury. So, you know, if y'all want to come out, we'd love to have you. Uh, you know, hit up D9U. We got a link right now for some super cheap tickets if you guys want to 
double down on your football this weekend. And after the LAFC game Saturday, want to charge out to Ontario and light up Toyota Arena. We'd love to see you guys out there as well, too. But enough promoting my other job here. Let's move on to some LAFC stuff here. So news and notes. We had some big, big news drop today. Diego Rossi officially, officially official this time signs with Fenerbahce on a four year deal. We officially have a DP slot open. Yes. Boys, tell me your thoughts. I think it's interesting if you look at some of the recent transfer rumors that were coming around the uh, the surrounding Diego Rossi. There was talk about him potentially going and playing in Brazil. And there was people in the LAFC community that had brought up the question, well, how does that affect us? Where does that fall with the Fenerbahce deal? I think that it shows that the people at Fenerbahce saw something from Diego and they want to see him continue to grow under that system. And I think it's great for us because it obviously helps us to have some clarification as to the end of this transfer deal. It seems like he impressed enough. We know how good he is. He performed in instance at Fenerbahce. I think with a full off season and a full season, I think he could perform even better. So I'm happy for him. I don't know what the rumored sale price is, but I'm sure because of COVID, LAFC didn't get the amount of I think re- I think return. it was uh, seven million was okay. the uh, transfer price. Uh, seven million euros. So I think was the transfer eight, price. Probably eight, eight or so, or closer to ten mil dollars. So it's it's a decent price. Uh, I think you know, normal pre-COVID or post-COVID in a couple of years, he could have been valued for much more. I'm happy for him because I know he wanted to move to Europe. This is, he'll get an opportunity to play either Champions or Europa League because Turkey, you know, top two get a spot. He'll be able to impress and move on to a different league if that's what his goals are. In, in the end, I also think that Turkey does a really good job of the football culture and the type of stadium and TIFOs and supporter culture that they have there. I think he's going to feel right at home uh, in comparison to LAFC and probably some bigger stadiums. So I think it's a good move for both LAFC for the player. LAFC did what they promised. They brought the South American and moved them on to Europe. I think that's going to give additional credibility to the club. So overall, as happy as we could be because of the situation. All right. So I'm going to give you one last question on Diego Rossi before we move on. And I want the over under on two years with Fenerbahce before he moves on. Are you taking the over or the under Christian? I'll start with you. I'll go under. I think he's going to show some more. I think he probably just was getting settled in. He didn't get a full season. He's going to have a full preseason. I think after one year and off season, I think probably winter or summer of the following season, season two, he, someone else is going to be looking at him in either Italy or Spain, and he's going to be able to move on. And he has a European passport too. Remember, we have, he has a dual nationality. So I think it's going to be easier for him to be able to make that kind of transition. I think that he's going to stay there for a while. I think that he'll, I'm going to take the over. I think he'll be there over two years. And the reason I think that is just that he was here with LAFC for a couple of seasons. And I think that it's part of the whole experience where you know, it is his opportunity to play in those big European tournaments. And he's already at a place where he's going to be able to grow. And I can't necessarily see him making a move for a club in, in Italy or France or Germany or even Spain and, and being in the top 11, where if he's on this Turkish team, he knows that he can make the top 11 and he can get a lot of playing minutes and a lot of time. And you know, eventually, but I, I think that within the two years, I think he's still going to be playing for Fenerbahce for the next two years. 
Ooh, so I get the deciding vote. I'm going to take the under as well, too. I think he's going to light it up in Turkey. Now that he's got a four-year deal, he's got some security. He understands where he is, what his job is. He knows the system and the teams and the league a little bit better. I think in this next season and a half, he lights it up and he moves on to a bigger club in Europe. But the big news for LAFC here is that this opens up a DP slot officially. So put your John Thorrington hats on for a sec. Do you want a DP now, right now, a player that can step in and be an influence maker? And if your answer is yes, now, right now, I want to know what third of the field you're putting that DP in. Obviously, we've got Kripo, so we're not going to get, and no one gets DP goalkeeper. So we'll rule that out. But defense, midfield, attack. If you're bringing in a DP right now, where are you bringing that DP in? And if you're not bringing a DP in right now, I want your justification for waiting until summer or end of year, et cetera. So we'll do reverse order this time. Chris, I'll get your name right. Uh, go first, brother. Well, I think that we're going to have a DP in the summer signing just because of how late into the transfer window we've already been. For a lot of leagues, the transfer window is already closed. If we were to get somebody who was a DP, it would have to be potentially someone who is out of contract or able to leave on a free, uh, you know, just based on how that contract is. I think some of the South American windows are still open. uh, Which is true. But I just think that, I mean, unless LAFC literally had somebody waiting in the wings because they knew that this deal with Diego Rossi was was just a matter of, of days before it was able to get processed. I also just think that LAFC is going to just wait until the summer. It seems like that's been a little bit more of the common thread when it comes to uh, designated players when we've had available designated players to sign. But I do think that we're going to get a designated player this season. In the summer, I think that it is going to be an impactful player for right now, and it's going to be somebody that helps influence the pitch for the last half of the season. I'm going to pick the middle third, especially quoting our friend uh, of the show, Vince LaRosa. Name me one time when a defensive designated player has ever worked out in the MLS. It never has. So putting in a designated player in the defense, I think is a waste of a designated player position. I think having a designated player as a forward is a little bit too crowded. And also we don't know exactly what's going to happen with Carlos Vela. You know, Carlos has the six months also to showcase what he's able to do before they agree to either renew his contract, give him an extension or let him go on a free, depending on how Carlos plays, that could, I guess, potentially influence that. But let's just say Carlos plays well and we're going to re-sign Carlos. We keep Carlos as a designated player. We have Brian Rodriguez as a designated player. I would put a designated player in the midfield. And I think that that is going to potentially be, you know, we know that we just got Kellen Acosta. He's not going to potentially be on our team for very long. He had aspirations of going to Europe, leaving Colorado. Colorado didn't come through with him on that. And that was one of the things that we as an organization gave the impression to say, well, we're going to come through and we're going to get you that opportunity to play in Europe. So Kellen is not going to be here for very long, in my opinion, especially leading up to the World Cup this season. If he ends up getting a a starting role or plays a, a prominent role in the U.S. men's national team road, to Qatar, I think that that also is going to put him on the the spotlight and and he's just not going to be with LAFC. Ilya Sanchez, we got in, he's an older uh, journeyman veteran player and, but who knows how many more years he's got. So I just, I think that there are still holes to fill in the midfield. We have solutions temporarily 
for the next 18 months. But are we, you know, we need to start getting in position so that we have a solidified midfield like we did when we had Edward Atuesta. I agree with Chris. And you made a lot of the valid points that I wanted to make. And the, the only thing I will add is midfield now, assuming Carlos resigns, if Carlos decides that he doesn't want to be here anymore and wants to try Europe again, go to Mexico, or if we don't renew or we just don't agree on the valuation of his next contract, then we might need a, a, a winger on the right side. So, um, and then that would free up another DP. So then we're having a different conversation in the summer too. And I'm sure JT and the rest of the front office is having additional discussions. So I'm excited about having a free DP and with a, what I feel is a very solid team, especially defensively. I think like we have two lines, you know, almost eight defenders on, on, the, on the roster. And then we have some flexibility in the midfield. But if all else is equal, we keep the current roster to the end of the year. I think uh, an attacking midfielder with a little bit more experience, maybe in their mid-20s, from either South America or Europe would make sense. And I think just waiting till the summer for more flexibility would make sense also. All right, so to be completely unoriginal, I absolutely wait till summer. And my reasoning is, where's the hole in this team right now? I mean, we've got three decent strikers up top with assuming Vela and Raito are, are in and healthy. Behind them, you've got the likes of Tijuri Shradi and Opoku and even deeper, the Cal Jennings and like. Is that the deepest you could possibly be at forward position? No, but that's five deep reasonably. And it's not a huge drop-off if you go down to sixth. And then it is kind of a steeper drop-off as you get down to seven or eight. But to say that we have five serviceable starters and two decent backups up front, I'm okay with that. The defense, especially given some of the signings we're going to talk about here in the second, seems completely fortified as well, too. Our midfield has a decent starting three, the most expensive starting three midfielders LAFC has ever had. But Chris, you make a phenomenal point. Kellen Acosta is already looking for the next job. I think Ile Sanchez is here for the go of his contract. We have no idea what's happening with Latif Blessing at the end of this year when his contract expires, whether or not he's going to stay here because he loves LAFC or whether he's motivated by trying to reunite with his wife and goes to a country where she can get a visa, something I think all of us would completely understand. You know, beyond that, there's not a whole lot of depth at midfield. So uh, I'm going to have to agree with both of you that summer window and likely a midfielder uh, with Ile Sanchez, um, probably locking up the defensive midfield responsibilities for at least the moment. I don't know if it will be a defensive midfielder. I think you're right. It's probably more of a box to box style, but we shall see. But that's definitely where I feel we should go with, with the next DP. Whoever is going to be adorning a kit for LAFC player wise and heading out on the pitch. We finally got our chance to get our hands on the brand new kit itself with the kit launch that just happened a couple of days ago. And for any of you who were there, I was there. It was an awesome experience. Just the chance to be with everybody again, to see thousands of people at the bank, to see people playing games and drinking and hanging out and singing songs and popping smoke and doing chants. And the whole experience was fantastic. There was definitely a lot of waiting in line <laughs> involved as, you know, there was a line to park and then a line to get in and then a line to get your kit and then a line to get your kit customized. But um, the fact that they hooked us up a discounted price just for showing up and then honored the additional 3252 or season ticket holder discount on top of that, plus the free customization, uh, you ended up saving a boatload of money by showing up. And it was fantastic just to see everybody and get a glimpse of 
what the 3252 is going to bring come this weekend. And I had a lovely time there. Unfortunately, boys, I know, Chris, you were down with the Rona. Christian, you got the little one at home. You guys couldn't make it out. But for everyone who did make it out, I know you guys had a wonderful experience. And just being at the bank with the black and gold faithful, getting to say hello to all those people I haven't seen since season ended outside of, you know, a meeting here or there or a TIFO painting or something like that, um, you know, to get together with some of these people again was uh, was a brilliant thing. So I'm, I'm very, very excited about seeing everybody rocking their brand new kits. And I personally absolutely love this kit. I love the art deco style to it. I love the overall black and gold only feel. I personally am a fan of the center crest. I think it's a throwback to what a lot of teams did in the nineties when I first really started watching this game. And so to me, it's a very nostalgic look both with the art deco and with the centered crest. I know a lot of people who are more modern soccer fans don't dig the centered crest. Personally, I think it's a wonderful kit. It's lovely. And if you hate it, you only got to deal with it for two years. But gentlemen, uh, you know, you guys couldn't make it out to the party, but you've certainly seen the kit many times. And what are your impressions on the new season five home kit? I think arguably it's probably one of the more unique kits in the league. I, I like that approach. Um, I do think it stays true to LAFC in terms of the art deco, some of the inspiration around the stadium and a lot of the, the gear, T-shirts, et cetera. So I, I like that it's, it continues to tie that in. Um, the centered crest, I don't mind it. I think one of my first jerseys was that OG Vodafone, David Beckham, uh, center crest Nike kit from back in the day. Venice Roy also wore back in the day. So I don't mind it. I think I did see some of the leaked pictures, the ones that I've seen more recently, and I haven't seen it in person either. And I think that's a whole different thing to to experience it in person it looks better in some of the more recent images or more professional images or that capture what it probably looks more like in person so i'm looking forward to going to the bank on saturday and and taking a look uh, considering purchasing it I, I do feel bad that i wasn't able to go and get some of the, the discounts but uh, also those lines look long with a little toddler i'm okay with not uh, spending that money uh, or saving that money i should say but Overall, yeah, it was, I, I it like was it. about two hours of lines in total. It was wow. about a half hour to park, about a half hour to get in, and then like an hour and a half to get your kid. So maybe about two and a half hours total in line, which, you know, it's just like a normal day at Disneyland, I guess. Yeah, no. And I mean, I've been to other kid launches at LAFC and people show up and people, you know, party, people have a good time, sing, listen to music. So it's it's an event. It's not just, you know, you showing up to get a kid. It's just, it's an experience. So it, it makes a lot of sense that people are hanging out and willing to wait because there's other things to do when you're there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more than okay with the Jersey. I, I think it's, you know, I think if we continue to push the envelope, it's, it's hard when Adidas makes all the jerseys too, to stand out. And I think we did one of a, the best jobs to be able to do that. I definitely like the art deco style of the kit. I think that that in and of itself makes this kit stand out head and shoulders above anything else that the league has, uh, any of the other teams in the league has put out this season. I was definitely shocked and it was just such an interesting look. Uh, me, my, myself personally being a modern soccer fan, I, I hadn't really noticed that center crest center brand jersey brand and so i had to look back and you know you when you do see the homage to the 90s kits like you just referenced jonathan and how the history is there it, it then made it feel special so i very much like this kit i love the i love the, the just the, the art deco style that probably is my favorite my favorite accentuating point about this kit 
Um, and I can't wait to get my hands on one of them. It definitely, the images, the initial images that had gotten leaked out did not do it justice. The images that came out after from the official announcements from the club and people's pictures on their social media and stuff like that from the event, those were leaps and bounds, a better image of the kid. And I, like I said, I just, I can't wait to actually get my hands on one. And uh, I'm even thinking about buying some for my kids just because I think that this is going to be one of those kits that you look back 10 years from now and it's going to be one of the iconic ones that LAFC has, you know, the one that you wear those kits around 10, 15 years from now and people are going to be like, man, that's that was such an awesome kit. So having seen it in the flesh, seen it on people walking around, y'all are going to dig this kit. I really think this is a kit we're going to be talking about in 10, 20 years as as our favorite kits. You know, for most people, it's the season one black red YouTube logo, like as the kit, the first kit. And and I get that, but I really think this is going to go down when we're 10, 15 kits removed from it as being one of the best kits we've ever had. It really, really looks good in person. If you didn't get a chance to make it out, I totally understand you did miss the 3252 unveiling some new chance. For our listeners out there who are 3252 members that might not have had a chance to practice those, please reach out to your SGs, get a copy of those lyrics, start prepping and getting yourself ready for game day, because I expect you all to know your chance come game day. So why don't we go ahead and move on? We've had some preseason games um, since the last time we recorded. We've had all four preseason games. So I'm just going to kind of quickly run through the first three, and then we'll go ahead and dive into the big game that just took place, which is really the fun one to talk about. But we had our first game on the 29th versus New England, ended up in a draw 1-1. You know, the big talking point about this was it was Dolo versus Bruce Arena, Bruce Arena having coached Chirondolo in the past. And of course, before first half, we end up giving up the goal to Buxa. But then late, we get Fall, who comes in to close out the penalty, which was kind of unique to see Mamadou Fall taking a penalty. And that one ended 1-1. The other big takeaway from this game was it was the emergence of Kim Moon-Wan as a midfielder, which I definitely want to hear your guys' thoughts on as as we kind of roll through the rest of this real quick. Toronto on the second, we end up losing that one 2-1. We ended up giving up a couple goals late, and then we had an academy guy. Mr. Nathan Ordaz, who put in a goal late in the 84th to make it 2-1, a game that we kind of had to follow via secret Twitter because the club and, and a lot of other stuff that was going on were, were really talking about it as being a closed-doors game, and there's still not an official recap or score put out by the club on that game. And then we had the next official game in the Coachella Valley Invitational where we lost 0-2. Palacios gave up a ninth-minute penalty. And my goodness, if you'd have followed Twitter, you'd have thought the sky was falling at that point. So we'll go ahead and pause there. And I want to get your guys' reactions to those three games before we get all sunshine and roses and talk about our game versus the energy drinks. Um, So, Chris, why don't we go ahead and start with you, brother? You know, it's hard to really have much to say about anything. I wasn't able to go to the in-person preseason match against New England on the 29th of January, like you alluded to. The closed door, closed media matches from the UCI one over for Toronto on the second and then the Coachella Valley Invitational for the last two. It's hard to really make an assessment of anything because you have no idea how these players look, the formations that they're in, how their movement is, how they play off the ball, how they read each other. You also don't even really get a true uh, assessment of the substitute players and when they come in if you take a notice it was nil nil at half in the Toronto match 
if I remember correctly, in that Toronto match, we had a starting 11 that was somewhat similar to what you might see at some point during the season. And then, you know, you look at how the match ended. We have an academy player playing for us at the end. And it's, you know, is this academy player someone that we're potentially going to give minutes to in the regular season? Probably not. So if you look at that as any kind of indicator, the people that we had playing for us in the second half were people that were getting their minutes in preseason. And Steve was uh, probably giving an opportunity to, to see what they could do on the pitch. So, it, I mean, it, it is, it's really hard to make any kind of assessment or judgment or, or to have anything um, when it comes to these losses, you know, people on social media are trying to really get concerned and worried and it's, it's leaping, to, it's jumping to conclusions before you have all of the information. I, I don't read into any of it in terms of the results of the first three matches. Um, I think people are just trying to get their um, lungs used to playing a you know, competitive match against other teams. The one thing I will kind of mention, I think you touched on it, is Moon playing in the midfield. I think that's interesting. I mean, I think he has the tactical ability, the, the vision, the skill set to play there. I, I just think that it's going to be a matter of working with him on the positioning. But if we saw Bob Bradley turn Latif into a really dynamic midfield, I think Moon has similar qualities to him, He to Latif. You know, he gives everything he's got. He's quick. But I think the finishing product, once he gets into the box for the final third, might be a little bit better than Latif. And he has a, a shot. So if he can develop as a midfielder, and I know he played a little bit of that back in uh, the Korean First Division, if we get more of that, I think our midfielder gets deeper and maybe he, he'll start pushing for some of the positions there, which is the goal, or get him some minutes to, to change the game, um, having him as an option converse to, to Latif in the last half hour could be a good thing either uh, as a right defender or you know, helping out the midfield three with one of our with one of our guys being gassed so I, that's to me one of the things that I've noticed other than that um, I know that in the it can it can be nothing because in the in the preseason it, I'm sure they're trying different players at different positions so but that one I just keyed in on because I think he could he could do well there yeah and I think if Trondolo ends up using a 4-4-2 at some point in time he could be really really valuable uh, you know out on that that right side of the midfield and even as a serviceable backup in a 4-3-3 option moon as a midfielder I think is something we're all vastly more excited about than moon as a right back because we know he loves getting forward and he doesn't necessarily love tracking back or at least wasn't as effective at tracking back and you know, often would lose his man on that right side. So if he's in the midfield with Escobar behind him, I think we're in we're in a much better situation. So we'll see if he ends up pushing first team minutes on the right side of the midfield, you know, come the summer window. So I definitely was very excited about Moon, did not really care so much about results. It was just nice to see extended minutes and the fact that we made all the way through without any major injuries, right? That's that's the biggest thing. Opoku's back. He seems like he's healthy. We'll talk about him in a second here, but we made it through preseason where our guys that were injured last year got back. Our guys that were out in international camps or are new to the squad got a chance to get acclimated and everybody made it through injury-free. That is a fantastic preseason. Results don't matter. Now I'm going to completely turn around on that and say the results in the final game absolutely matter because of the manner in which it went down. And of course, that's the game that just took place versus Red Bull New York. And we absolutely put a shellacking on the New Jersey energy drinks uh, after a ninth minute pen given up by Escobar that saw 
New York, well, New Jersey take a one goal lead. We answered back six times to finish the game six to one. We've got a brace from Raito scoring the first and third goal of the game. Opoku had a quasi brace. His pass is what caused the own goal for the second goal. And he ended up capping off the night with the sixth goal of the night. Vela showed up with goal number four for the team. And then Vela also had the assist on the corner for Mamadou Fall to land one as well, too. Seeing Opoku find the back of the net, seeing Raito get a brace, seeing Vela get a goal, seeing an assist from a corner to Mamadou Fall, Vela taking the corner, all of those things fantastic so clearly it was the new kit the new kit dropped the day before so obviously that was everything to do with us completely turning our preseason around and scoring six unanswered goals versus new york so as much as we tempered the results from those first three games do you guys feel tempered in your optimism about this final game or is this the new lafc 2.0 we're scoring six goals a game i think that with that same grain of salt we need to you know who was who were the Red Bull playing in the starting 11, you know, during the first half and the second half. I think it's great to see that we are able to put up goals. And I think that it shows that there is the potential for us to be able to score a lot of goals like we did in 2019. It's hard to really sit here and get behind one way or the other when we don't really have all the information. But I would like to be, me being the show optimist, Heck yeah, dude. It's it's LAFC 2.0. We're going to score six goals every game. Offense, like the wingers and the strikers, it's all about confidence. And I, I do want them to be doing well in the last game of the preseason, obviously. And them scoring goals is very important going into this game. If it's the kit, excitement, watching things on Instagram or social media with people being really hyped about the season and showing up to just a kit launch. Imagine the actual match. Um, I think that's, that's all important in, in their mindset, their mood. Um, something's obviously working on that day, and I think it could be translating to other things. And I think it's good for Steve Chirundolo to have this kind of momentum, although short-lived and very recent, going into the first match. I think, you know, the, the rubber is going to meet the road, and I think it's going to be important for the players, the manager, the coaching staff to, to feel good going into this next week. Here's my bold prediction coming out of this match. Vela and Opoku are going to give each other a run for the money for comeback player of the year. That's my bold prediction coming out of this game. And folks, we got a lot more stuff to talk about in today's show. We want to run through all of our new signings, both on the pitch and in the front office. We've got some predictions for the upcoming season as well, too, that we want to get to. But before that, we want to get you guys primed and pumped for this game coming up this weekend. So we're going to take a quick break. And after that, we will be right back with our correspondent interview representing the Colorado Rapids. Catch you on the other side. Hey, this is John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us is this week's opponent correspondent representing the Colorado Rapids. We have Holding the High Line podcast. You can follow them at Rapids96 podcast. Representing today, we have Matt Red Pollard. You can follow him at LWOS Matt Pollard. He also writes for Last Word on Soccer at Last Word SC. Accompanying him is Mark Rabbi Goodman at Soccer underscore Rabbi. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming out and speaking with us. Thank you for having us, boys. It is very cold where we are, so we are looking forward to the fact that the Rapids will have at least one game this week that is not a Snow Classico. Glad to be on the podcast. Thanks for having us. No problem. I mean, it is a bit cold today in Los Angeles, a brisk 45 degrees. 
but you know, I guess by comparison where you are in Colorado and on the East coast, you guys, it's definitely a lot colder. Yeah. I'm going to be getting frostbite at the, at the dick tomorrow. It's going to be single digits with wind chill. So not looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to Diego Rubio's hat trick for the rapids to advance beyond communicaciones on aggregate though. Yes. We sincerely appreciate you guys showing on the eve of the second leg of your Conca champions match there versus communicaciones. So, uh, before you get uh, intimidated by the Guatemalanes, um, real quickly, if you guys could just introduce yourselves, plug your podcast, tell people where they can find you guys and listen if they want to tune in. We're holding the high line with Rabbi and Red. We've been doing a podcast on the Colorado Rapids for the last five years. Matt's been covering the team for Last Word on Soccer for seven years. I covered the team for about eight years with a variety of credits freelance with the athletic i had a bit with the denver post i worked for the sb nation site burgundy way for a while and now we just do our own substack thing on our burgeoning media empire known as holding the highline media comma semicolon llc patent pending trademark copyright all that good stuff and i also i live here in pittsburgh we moved here a couple years ago so i also write for the website on all things pittsburgh called Pittsburgh soccer now. And I was just upstairs getting my camera tuned up because when the editor is doing the article, I got my thumb in my butt and I don't have much to do. So I taught myself how to take photos because, you know, usually like the the media guy will show you one photo of the one player that you don't need a picture of. You're, You're like, ah, I need a photo. So I learned how to how to do that, which is not as easy as it looks to keep the camera on the action while the ball and the players are running right at you and be like, get the shot, get the shot. Don't hide. Get the shot. Yeah, guys. And then I think HTHL, maybe similar to yourselves and everything, was kind of born out of, I want to say in 2017, the Rapids, the club, had a podcast that was hosted by the two TV guys that you had, Richard Fleming and then USMNT legend Marcella Baboa. And then they kind of stopped doing that. So the, the birth of HTHL was Mark and I independently realizing there should be like a nerd analytics podcast on the Colorado Rapids. This is something I want to listen to. For this to exist, we might have to create it. And then us having a conversation where I texted him, I'm like, I'm thinking about starting a Rapids podcast. Like, is that something you'd be interested in? So HCHL was born out of that. And then our kind of slogan that we've developed is we've kind of inspired a, not a a Rapids media empire, but like the the joke is, is that everybody's like, oh, we want to be like Rabbi in red. And then they do that for six months and realize it's a lot of work and kind of a headache. So we're our value to the Rapids community. And then hopefully to the greater MLS community, including LAFC is that we have staying power. We're much like, (laughs) much like the five Rapids fans who stick around when the team almost wins the wooden spoon. We're like cockroaches. We don't go anywhere, no rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Well said. Brilliant. All right, gentlemen, we're going to start a little big picture. So obviously some fantastic results for Colorado in the regular season last year, but a fairly quick postseason exit. So how optimistic are you for this upcoming season? And what are your expectations for the Rapids this year? I'm optimistic in the sense that I think a lot of fans are thinking, oh, we finished first in the Western Conference. What's the next level up for that? And I think realistically, Mark and I on HDHL yesterday, we did our season preview and we both have the Rapids finishing fourth. 
fourth in the Western Conference. I think that's a reasonable evaluation. So I'm optimistic in the sense that there's clearly a plan. Pork Smith is cooking in the front office. Robin Frazier is clearly a huge get as a head coach. And we've seen the team gradually start to develop their pipeline to Europe that hopefully leads to more funding, which might actually lead to a DP transfer fee greater than a million dollars. We'll see. So I'm optimistic about this season because it's the continuation of the project. And as the club said, the, you know, the first pillar of the Rapids way going back to the end of 2017 was we want to be a perennial playoff team. We want to bring a second MLS cup back to Colorado. The Rapids are clearly in a position to make the playoffs for the third year in a row. They are one game at bank of California stadium away from making that four in a row going back to 2019. While there's clearly a ceiling on what this team can achieve in the playoffs, I'm optimistic about the start of the season. It's fun watching the team. They play good soccer. They play winning soccer and they have fun players, even though some of the pieces are moving. This is a far cry away from the Pablo Mastroeni, Anthony Hudson era of the team. With a little bit of the offseason in mind, there was a bit of this roller coaster, of course, with uh, the big announcement, LAFC having acquired Kellen Acosta. And with you guys having been acquiring Mark Anthony K this past season, how do you guys feel about the so-called swap? Can you guys speak to some of the fan base's feelings about how Acosta left the Rapids and how it was all handled and what it will be like seeing him play for LAFC? It's a great question. He had an opportunity. He had a club option, basically, and the club was planning on exercising the option or had exercised the option. But in the process of exercising the option, the team did what they do with most of their offseason players who were under a year left in contract and are very happy, which is lock them up for a few more years. And there's a lot of good reasons you guys probably know for why you do that. One is the player likes it because they feel respected. But a second one is if you lock your player up for two or three years, and then you decide you want to sell them onto Europe, you hold their rights. Like the flip side of that is, and this happened with, I forget which player for New York Red Bulls a couple of years ago, they just let a guy's contract run out. And then he went to Europe on a free and they were like, oops. So that was where they were with Kellen Acosta. It seemed like that they wanted to lock him up. And they apparently, and this is not well documented or very clear. It, we're kind of intuiting this from what he said over Twitter. But it seems like Kellen Acosta didn't get the deal at the table with the Rapids that he wanted. Then there was some disagreement between his agent and the team as to how much interest there was for him in Europe. Acosta believed, and I think his agent made him believe, there was a lot of interest for him in Europe. And the team openly said, actually, there wasn't any interest for him him in Europe, or if it was, it was like trying to get him at a fire sale cost that wasn't worth it for the team. So I think what happened was basically between December and February, there was a lot of disrespect and Acosta didn't want to sign. And if he did want to sign, he didn't want to sign at the money the Rapids were offering. He thought he was worth more. And then ultimately, you know, the team just kind of decided we probably need to move on. And that probably was born out of like bad feeling or demand from the player. We're not entirely sure. You know, the funny thing, of course, is that Mark Anthony Kay, as you as you mentioned, he came over earlier. I think the team never intended to get rid of Kellen Acosta, always intended to have like this really, really talented two way midfield of Mark Anthony Kay, Kellen Acosta and Jack Price in like a 4-3-3 and that kind of blew up and now the Rapids are 
kind of trying to figure it all out all over again with who that third piece in the midfield is who's really going to do a great job. They've got Brian Acosta from FC Dallas. They also have Max Alves, who's a 22-year-old from Brazil, who probably is more of like a center attacking mid, like false nine type guy. He's not a like-for-like swap. And that's where they're at. You're getting a peach of a player. He's a wonderful, talented guy, and he should do a lot of good things for you guys in the midfield. And then I guess the thing that I would add is, you know, the the his contract going back to originally signing with the Colorado Rapids, there was an option for 2023. And so we had media availability about a, a month ago now with Pork Smith. And I asked him, like, why not just see what Kellen does and then pick up the team option? And then you can sell him in January for a buttload of money when he crushes it with the national team, maybe scores a banger in Guitar. And he kind of said, you know, it was based on asset valuation. And so I think there's kind of a sense that maybe the perception of Acosta in Europe is that he has inherently a ceiling. And as we've seen with a number of MLS teams on a budget this offseason is that when there's an opportunity to cash in on Garber bucks, you prefer that over a larger transfer fee. I don't think we're getting more than 1.5 million within the league. And I'd struggle to say that, you know, a team right now in January would have ponied up more than 2 million for Kellen Acosta. That being said, given how he left FC Dallas, given how he's clearly salty about leaving the Colorado Rapids, given the times in which he has been doubted by the U.S. national team. Doubt this guy at your peril. He might be the only midfielder in MLS to be saltier than Benny Fellhaber. He is a CONCACAF player. You guys are getting a guy who is coming in feeling disrespected, feeling mistreated and everything. That is the most dangerous version of Kellen Acosta. And there's no doubt in my mind if he's going to be revenge is a dish best served on the opening day of the MLS season for him this Saturday. Interesting. Well, I think that's probably the most fascinating development in regards to to this opening match. I'm curious a little bit about ownership. Obviously, KSE is something that's near and dear to my heart as an Arsenal fan. And then obviously here in Los Angeles, the ties to the Rams who have just taken home a Super Bowl and had a parade that made me late for work. But aside from that, You have the same ownership in KSC as the Rams, Arsenal, and the Rapids. I'm curious what your perception of KSC is, and given the fact that the Rams have been so successful under his ownership, do you think that that is going to be a slightly different rhetoric than the one we have heard from primarily the soccer football fans about Kroenke's ownership? I can certainly say the Arsenal fans have not been too happy with him. How is that perception from the Colorado viewpoint? Nobody likes Kroenke, nobody likes KSC, and I do not think the Rams winning the Super Bowl is going to change that in any way. You can see that in how they developed everything. You know, the you know you spend 1% on what you spent on that stadium in Inglewood on the Colorado Rapids and the Rapids probably have multiple designated players. So I don't think that that's changing at all. I think it's pretty clear where KSE's priority is, you know, Mark, I don't know that we'd ever talk this out loud, but you see all the development that's gone on around that. That's kind of like the NFL equivalent of what victory Boulevard was supposed to be. I don't know if you guys have ever been out to a game at DSG, but there's kind of just a, it's a bunch of parking lots, a bunch of soccer fields and a bunch of dirt lots. And that was supposed to be like a restaurant and then a hotel for away fans and everything in this whole extra development. And basically the only thing that happened was the stadium and then the training grounds and everything, which is great for the growth in Colorado soccer. But like the, you know, they did for, you know, Kroenke basically built Jerry world West and that's what the Rapids 
were promised in going out to Commerce City, and that never happened. So I don't think it's going to change. You know, for the transfer fees that Arteta would be asking for Jonathan for to really get Arsenal into Champions League, say top four for the 2022-2023 Premier League season. You know, the rounding error on that would be enough to give the Rapids a DP striker that would make all the difference in the world on that. We haven't seen that. KSC is disinterested. That DP is not coming. Nobody cares. Matt said it really well. I just wanted to make one minor change, which was the, and it's completely irrelevant, but it, 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 you know, fact checking matters even for completely irrelevant things. The name of the multimedia entertainment complex that the Rapids were going to build in Commerce City on a bunch of dirt lots, which are currently occupied by Prairie Dogs, is called Victory Crossing. And there's been no talk about it since basically 2013 when the stadium went in, which is like really ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, you know, I just wanted to like reiterate everything that Matt said. The running joke amongst Rapids fans is we're not entirely sure that Stan and his son Josh are aware that they own an MLS team, right? We, we kind of all fantasize that sometimes he's sitting around, you know, uh, watching a really great soccer game. And somebody says to him, you know, there's soccer in America now. And he goes, oh, we should get in on that. You know, it's like, yeah, you have been on in on that for about a decade now. It's a very strange relationship. But um, my take has always been that Kroenke's ownership of the Nuggets, the Avs, and the Rapids has always been mostly about asset valuation and appreciation. You know, he basically bought the smallest house on the block when the market was kind of tanked. And 15 years later, he owns a multi-million dollar house. Like that's that's the analogy that I use. He just needs to keep the operating budget of the Colorado Rapids low because he doesn't care whether they win or not. Like he needs them to finish mid-table, not lose all the fan base and appreciate in value to the point that they become something that might be useful to sell off. It was a brilliant move. The dude bought the team plus the stadium for somewhere around like between 17 and $30 million, depending on what you're all valuing. And MLS teams at the rock bottom rate are going for like 300 million. So homeboy made his money, like, you know, respect props to the man, but like, can you give us up like a designated player for, for all that cash money you're hanging on to? Like, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll make it back on the, on the back end. Just give us a faded Mexican star who's 33 years old and has two broken legs. Like we'll take him real quick with the success of the man cities and their multiple teams, obviously the red bulls and their multiple teams. Are you a little surprised that the Rapids don't have a closer relationship with Arsenal, that there isn't a player pipeline designated that way. And then, of course, uh, in regards to your Prairie Dogs, I sincerely hope they don't have the plague anymore. No, they they came back and everything. Uh, we thought that they were dead and we hadn't seen them, but I want to <laughs> say late 2020, maybe early 20. I specifically, I saw one and then I took a picture of it. And like, this was the first time we'd seen the Prairie Dogs since that August 2019 game against Montreal Impact and everything. So the Prairie Dogs are back. Uh, and to my knowledge, they do not, I can neither confirm nor deny whether or not they had COVID. But Mark, uh, you want to answer the qu- the question at hand? Yeah, I was just, fi- I'm fiddling with something and they're looking at my ears in the, in the camera on the Zoom and like, I'm just, I think you said it really well, Jonathan. I think everybody who's been very close with the Colorado Rapids as me and Matt have been for the last couple of years are totally flummoxed by the fact that They haven't created more of a relationship. I mean, I knew that the dew was off the lily and nothing was happening when Arsenal bought Gedeon Zalalem, an American player out of the D.C. metro area, 
a number of years ago as a young player and then couldn't find anything to do with him. And the logical thing to do with an American kid who can't fit into the Arsenal squad is loan him to the Colorado Rapids, like let him play there. Instead, Zalalem played for the U23s. They loaned him around. He got hurt. He got better. He got hurt again. And then they shipped him back to the U.S. and he wound up with Sporting Kansas City 2 in the USL. And like none of it ever made sense to me. This year was the first time ever we've actually seen any Colorado Rapids players do anything with Arsenal. And that's that Arsenal bought Austin Trusty. He's technically been loaned back to the Colorado Rapids until July. That loan deal might actually either get extended or he may get reloaned to one of the smaller leagues in Europe, like the Eredivisie or uh, the Belgian league or whatever. Cause I think a lot of people don't think Austin's quite ready for prime time in the English premier league. But anyways, point being like, that was, that was a nice development, but it's also kind of still a confusing development because it might just be like a cash grab in the sense that, you know, you're stealing a good player. The, if, if, if Cronky uh, is having Arsenal pay the Rapids for Trusty, it's basically like when you or I move your money from your front pocket to your back pocket. It's still on you, right? Like it's all the same money. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think any of us are optimistic that we're going to be getting like guys who kind of wash out from the Arsenal Academy. We've never really understood why there wasn't a better relationship between the two. It might just be too complicated it might also be that there isn't really a whole lot of relationship the last thing i'll say is this a number of people in the front office from arsenal and the colorado rapids do collaborate and occasionally they'll send players over to do joint training so the coaching staffs have some relationships um in fact the rapids assistant general manager used to be the assistant video analytics and stats guy for Arsenal. There is some cross-pollination. It just doesn't wind up getting us, you know, Obama Yang on a, for, a, for a song, you know? And that's a bummer because I like Obama Yang. Let's start shifting gears a little bit towards this weekend. What are some of the tactics and formations that we should expect to see from Colorado? So Mark and I have been going back and forth on this a little bit. Um, so there's kind of two looks that you'll generally see. One is the 4-3-3 that they have set up with kind of a, a an amiibo or a lot of rotation and versatility in the midfield. What we saw Robin Frazier gradually transition to last year because he had three really good center backs was a 3-5-2, a slash 5-3-2 empty bucket. If I'm not wrong, Mark, feel free to correct me. I believe the first time we saw the back three was actually this fixture at the bank and it didn't work because Lal Sabubakar was coming back from injury and decided to be a chaos merchant. But so you'll see one of those two formations. My guess would be you're more likely to see the three at the back, very active fullbacks, Keegan Rosenberry on the right, Lalas or not Lalas Abubakar, um, Lucas Estevez, the Brazilian replacement for Sam Fines on the left. What happens at forward is a really good question because the Rapids have a big fixture to deal with tomorrow night at time of recording. It could be Diego Rubio. It could be Michael Barrios at wide. We've seen Jonathan Lewis in there. Andre Shinyashiki might actually be back from getting his green card. So I'm not sure what looks like that, but you know, the Rapids are going to press a little bit. They're going to be comfortable playing out of the back and they're going to try and look for pressure traps to play through. And ultimately all of this is to create numbers in the box because the Rapids don't have just one striker. It's not like a pass to Carlos Vela and then have hit, watch him do stuff, or it's to ultimately 
get fouls committed or win corners to ultimately create stuff on set pieces. I, that's generally the game plan for the Rapids. There's a little bit of flexibility depending on who the opponent is. I think Robin Frazier certainly respects what LAFC is. And so we might see them be a little bit more conservative. So they might be more open to pressing a little bit more and maybe only have 40, 45% possession, but you'll see a little bit of everything. You'll see a lot of versatility in the midfield and Mark Anthony K trying to do everything he can to burn Maxine Cripple. So our fan base is obviously aware of the former LAFC players, the Mark Anthony K's, the Beta Fish. But who are some of the other players, particularly some of the new additions that we're going to see? And if you could highlight what exactly you expect from some of the star players around the team. Well, <laughs> star players. The Colorado Rapids, the Colorado Rapids have 25 superstars, according right. to Robin Frazier. <laughs> yeah, the, the Colorado Rapids, because we don't have a designated player, don't do star players per se. But I guess our star player is our captain. Captain Jack will get you high tonight, folks. Um, Jack Price is a former Wolves player from England. His nickname that the Rapids fans uh, bandied about that he told the team that he had been called when he was with Wolves was the Shropshire Pirlo. Um, He's a deep-lying defensive midfielder, Regista-type guy. He is, I think somebody posted on Twitter, one of the stats media handles, posted something about Jack having the most on-target deliveries and the best accuracy of any set-piece hitter in MLS last year. And that's really how the Rapids are going to burn you. They're going to play you pretty much straight up. They're not really going to concede possession to you or hit on the counter like some teams. They want to play more or less 50-50 soccer. They don't really want to concede the middle of the midfield. And then at some point, if you foul a Colorado Rapids player anywhere near the box, Jack Price is going to bend in a set piece to the back post to within a millimeter of one of our giant hulking center backs who is likely to pound it home with his head. And that's um, Danny Wilson and Lalo Sabubakar. And uh, Jack Price is also uh, exceedingly deadly on uh, corner kicks. He's really, really precise. Now, the, the downside is it's early in the season. Everybody looks a little bit rusty. And I think those set pieces and those free kicks don't quite look as sharp as they normally do. I guess of other players of note that you want to pay attention to, Matt mentioned him before in the rundown of like, oh, maybe we're going to use him in CONCACAF. We'll see. Former FC Dallas man, Michael Barrios, is absolutely a pocket rocket. The dude is like five foot four, four million miles an hour. And he really likes to just get in behind. The Rapids will wind up with the ball at the left side, kind of deep in their own territory. And then they'll swing this ridiculous 70-yard diagonal to Miguel Barrios, and he'll just get past everyone. He'll bring that ball down perfectly, like on a feather. And one of the only players in the league who can do it as well as Barrios is, is Carlos Vela. And they actually roughly play at the same position. The difference is Vela has some dribbly magic that Barrios doesn't. But to be honest, in a foot race, I think Barrios would beat Vela nine times out of 10. So Vela also finishes probably better than Barrios. But Barrios has this really sick get to the end line, cut it back to a guy coming in late into the box. The last thing I'll say is that guy who was usually coming late into the box for the Colorado Rapids 
is Cole Bassett. And we sold him to Feyenoord a couple weeks ago. We don't know who the guy who arrives late in the box to pick up Michael Barros's play is uh, at the end. The only two guys that we're excited about for the season, although I don't think you'll see them in LAFC. So maybe the next time we play you guys, when you come out to Colorado sometime later in the season, a guy named Yaya Torre, not that Yaya Torre, a younger different Yaya Torre, who is a really exciting either wide midfielder or center midfielder, depending on how they deploy him. And another kid by the name of Darren Yappi. Those guys are 18 and 17 years old, respectively, or 17 and 16, respectively. Really exciting. Probably both going to get sub 500 minutes this year, bang in a couple surprising goals and kind of look for them farther out on the radar. And then I guess uh, I know you guys in the premise of the question was kind of new players, but, you know, we've seen in some of the MLS media stuff that they've put out. And then also with the club directly, Mark Anthony K was the feature player for the photo shoot they did for the new Jersey and everything. I'm wondering if they kind of think that he's going to be the star, whether or not that's because he's possibly a starter for the Canadian national team. That's going to be going to the world cup or not. But I think the, the club's certainly investing in him from a midfield standpoint, it might be Mac and max providing the attack from midfield. And you kind of combine that with, I would say after Kellen Acosta, I would have said last year, Mark Anthony K was the most like revenge of the distressed asset FC member <laughs> of the Colorado Rapids. I spoke with him maybe 48 hours after the trade ended up happening. And I know I remember because this got a little bit of traction on LAFC Twitter. So I actually pulled up the quote and everything. So uh, if I'm being completely honest, LAFC has given me a lot. But when I but where I stand in my career and what I've done in this league, I believe that I needed to be compensated more. And I felt that that's not what they wanted to do. There's no need to show shy away from it because uh, we all need to be honest and realistic. The writing was on the wall that I was not happy about my situation. And I think, uh, I think the question that I have at what point does the gamer in Mark Anthony K and the gamer in Kellen Acosta come out and does it turn into like a CONCACAF um, those two are the spark that is going to ignite, you know, the chaos on, on Saturday. Certainly I'm, I'm just, I'm waiting for Kellen to like win a 50, 50 ball with a little bit of a tackle that gets called a foul when maybe it shouldn't have been called a foul, you know, certainly probably by Baldomero Toledo and that like, that will, that'll set everything off. And then immediately just, it's going to be insanity. It also doesn't help that they're, uh, rivals on the international pitch either. Right. You know, no. so you know, you guys had uh, uh, mentioned it earlier that you guys don't have any designated players however on the club's official website brian acosta is listed as a designated player uh under his roster so i'm just wondering what is the current status of your guys' designated players and maybe not for this match but for the next match that we have later in the in the middle of the season who are maybe some of the rumored designated players that we might expect to see that is a lack of mls doing their updates everything that is has on that my understanding is that that's going back to last season and so all of that will be updated when the roster compliance date happens which i believe is this friday the 25th so brian acosta correct me if i'm wrong mark was i think making seven hundred thousand dollars so that's you know, that's at the threshold where he's probably gambable. My understanding right now is the Colorado Rapids do not have a DP on their roster. Max Alves and Lucas Estevez are both U22 initiative players, and you can't be both of those. So right now, the Rapids don't have a DP. In terms of rumors, your guess is as good as mine. The rumor mill has been absolutely dead on that front. Uh, Mark and I, I think we did a, an episode a couple weeks ago where we were positing guys within the league the Rapids could go after. I've kind of been on the Ola Kamara chain just because we know he wants out from D.C. The Rapids could definitely afford him with like the supposed like $3 million in GAM that they're 
are now hoarding over and everything between the Bassett loan fee and then the um, Kellen Acosta fee and everything. So I, I think you would go for that. I'm still baffled that as soon as Robert Barrick and Sporting Kansas City couldn't come to terms after Alan Polito was hurt, why they didn't back up the GAM dump truck to Peter Vermees in order to try and get him. But in terms of foreign DPs, probably somebody young, probably somebody out of South America who costs less than a million dollars to pay and less than a million dollars to acquire. Yeah, I'll just add that that's that's the MO the Rapids have had, which is uh, acquire a guy from South America who actually isn't going to start immediately. Um, And the best example of that is a guy you won't see this year because he tore his ACL just a few weeks ago. And that's Brian Galvan, who is he was kind of a left wing back, but he was really like a very attacking forward player. You could play him inverted on the right side. And when the Rapids brought him in, they didn't really do much with him for like six months, about a year, kind of let him ease into things. He was young. He was dribbly. He was aggressive and forward playing, but he didn't have the kind of tactical awareness. And he was one of those like shoot first, ask questions later type players. That's what the Rapids have been going for. A younger South American player who needed a little bit of time in the league. So even if we wound up getting a guy he wouldn't make an impact likely. Um, I, the last thing I'll say is I was all in for two distressed assets players in the off season. The first one was Josie Altidore, who, you know, kind of was in a bad way with his team before, just in the sense that like, we could probably get him and we could get, to, we could have gotten Toronto back when he was beefing with his manager. We could have gotten Toronto to pay half of his salary to come play for the Rapids. And he would probably be good for five or 10 goals as long as his hamstrings hold up. The other player that I like on this distress assets heap is less distress asset D now, but he, he's still like, he's the kind of guy people go, Oh, he's getting up there. He's a known quantity. Let's offload him is Jossie Zardes familiar to all you Los Angelinos. So I think he'd be a really good, the other team. I know the other team, he'd be a really good option for the Rapids. They just need, they need a guy who, who is a center forward, is a striker, knows some of the dark arts of MLS, right? Like one of the guys who was like that is Kai Kamara, who Montreal just signed. He was formerly with the Colorado Rapids, but I think the last thing I'll say is if you want to take a look at Kai Kamara's career, overwhelmingly a dude doesn't spend more than two or three years in any MLS locker room. And I have some suspicions as to why that might be. Fair enough. Final question for you guys today. You have a huge match tomorrow, Tuesday night at time of recording, Wednesday night versus Comunicaciones. You're down 1-0 from the first leg. The game is expected to be played at 2 degrees Fahrenheit. So, obviously, best of luck. But you have to imagine that the team is putting their eggs in the CCL basket. So what does that mean for the game upcoming this weekend? Do you expect players to have a three-game, three-day off turnaround and come back and play versus LAFC? Are you expecting most of the quote-unquote first-team players to play in Conca Champions and then your reserves or other players to come out and play versus LAFC? I think if you ask our manager, Robin Frazier, he'll say what every well media coached professional says in settings like this, which is we come to play every game. We give it our all 110% every time, right? The truth of the matter is, and that's why you should probably interview guys like me and Matt instead of like media professionals and club officials, because they're just going to blow smoke up your hoo-ha and not tell you what's really going on. They're going to go absolutely 
all out for CCL tomorrow. They're going to play everybody they can. And then they're going to roll out kind of some B team players for LAFC. I expect about five major roster changes for LAFC, which would include possibly Max Alves starting at LAFC because I don't think they think he's ready yet with the Rapids. Hopefully Andre Shinyashiki, who's been off in Brazil getting his green card, allegedly will be available for LAFC. They are likely going to start Colin Warner as a midfielder who is kind of like fringy, you know, grizzled veteran. Maybe there's still a little bit of meat left on that bone, but maybe not. You know, most of the other positions, you're almost certainly, I think the other player that I think uh, they are almost definitely going to start for all sorts of reasons, including nostalgia reasons, is Stephen Betashore, who you refer to affectionately as the beta fish. I don't think Betashore will play in CCL, but I think not Keegan Rosenberry, who seems to be the Iron Man of this team. He'll play every minute of every second, but like on the other side, Lucas Estevez, um, giving him a rest going into the season would make a lot of sense. And then... At striker, you can kind of rotate them all out, and maybe you you guys will see some of those kids that I mentioned earlier on. So to be honest, and I probably shouldn't say this out loud, I don't think the team is really going to be taking the LAFC match that seriously. If you guys, you guys should probably beat us handily because we're going to be um, a little bit exhausted. Yeah, and I guess the only thing I'll add, if we go back to last year, and well, I'll say the last two years with the fixture congestion that we had, one in the COVID season, and then with the way last year ended up working, the only positions that Robin really wasn't, that didn't rotate a whole lot was goalkeeper, usually the less mobile of the center backs, and then Jack Price in midfield. So I imagine, if you had, if I had to guess right now, the players who are the only ones who are going to play 90 minutes between the three games, the two legs in CCL. And then on Saturday are going to be the three center backs. So Lawless Abubakar, Danny Wilson, Austin Trusty, William Yarbrough is not going to be moving a whole lot in goal. So obviously he'll be there. And then maybe Jack Price. I think anybody else in the midfield is open. You know, we saw Mark Anthony K start in Guatemala and then Max come in for him. So I imagine probably one of them starts, one of them subs in for the other through these two games and everything. Mark saying that, you know, Colin Warner probably gets the start on Saturday with Brian Acosta making his first start for the team on Wednesday probably makes sense. And then anything else that you have is probably a let's just try and make it happen tomorrow night. Everybody come in for a regen session on Thursday and then we'll reevaluate and come up with a plan. But I think right now it's more of a everybody's focused, you know, on Guatemala. And if I'm being honest, guys, I'd bite your arm off right now for the Rapids to advance in that. And I would bite your other arm off for a nil nil or a one one on Saturday. Brilliant stuff. Once again, our guests this episode have been Matt Red Pollard and Mark Rabbi Goodman from Holding the Highline Podcast. Please give them a follow at Rapids96 Podcast. Gentlemen, thank you once again so much for coming and joining us. Thank you, guys. This was a blast. Brilliant. And with that, we'll be right back after this break with the latter half of our episode. Hi, everybody. It's Max Prados, and you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, second to none bringing you the LAFC gospel. Alrighty, now we're going to go ahead and dive into some of the new signings for LAFC. Everybody loves signings. So we'll go ahead and start with our most recent addition, the Canadian national Donald Henry. So LAFC announced that they've picked up the Canadian occupying an international slot. Uh, so he has to get his P1 visa, but all that looks like it's coming through. So we are going to be acquiring the free agent defender, Henry. He's 28 years old. 
He spent his last two years in the K League with Suwon Blue Wings, uh, where he made 41 appearances, 35 starts, and had three goals. He's obviously played for Team Canada. We have seen him recently repping the Maple Flag. He played the entire 90 minutes of the 2-0 win versus El Salvador, and he also picked up about 30 minutes in their game versus Mexico as well, too. He spent the 18 and 19 seasons north of the border as part of the Vancouver Whitecaps. He started 38 of their 39 appearances that he had. He got one assist, four goals, and over 3,000 minutes, so certainly not just garbage time. Uh, He's uh, from Ontario originally, uh, Canada, that is, not California. Uh, He made his MLS debut in 2010, so certainly a veteran of the league, uh, despite only being 28 years old. Fun fact, he actually played for West Ham for a while in 2015. He did get loaned out for the majority of that. He played with a couple other teams throughout Europe before coming back to the United States. So we got ourselves a Canadian defender, 28 years old, who's going to help us out in the defense. So gentlemen, what are your thoughts on the acquisition of Donald Henry? I'm happy. You know, reinforcements coming. We leaked goals the last couple of seasons. I think... Steve is focused uh, on that, and I think if we focus on transitions and making sure that we're defensively capable of managing games, we should be able to have a much better season and not miss the playoffs, obviously. So I'm happy about it. I'm happy the focus that the front office and the coaching staff has had, and I welcome Daniel Henry to the ranks here. I think it's important, you know, especially for anyone that, has taken the time to watch the behind the crest, uh, the the video behind the scenes stuff that LAFC has put out. You'll see in the most recent episode that uh, Eddie Segura is still rehabbing from his knee injury. So he is not 100% fit. He will not be able to be in the starting 11 uh, or even play probably this upcoming weekend. So we still have some big shoes that need to be filled for the center back position. And whether it's going to be Mamadou Fall. Jesus Mario, Daniel Henry. It's just showing that we are going to have a, a bunch of able bodies and we are going to find the right chemistry and connection that's going to lead us to to, to a, a solid a solid defensive um, presence. And that's definitely what we need and what we haven't necessarily had over the last four seasons. Yeah. Who can't love the signing of a six foot two, 28 year old plays for an international team defender? And I guarantee you, this guy has already got one SG that is 100% behind him. And I'm talking about my boys at the 420 Originals because his birthday is 42093. I'm looking at you, Cash Money, and the rest of the 420 Originals out there. I know you guys are going to be stoked. So, 42 Originals, shout out to y'all. Our next signing, speaking of defenders, we have Ryan Hollingshead. Now, this was interesting because this came on a swap deal. And you don't traditionally see a whole lot of swap deals within the world of, of football soccer. You obviously see uh, a ton of it in baseball and other places like that. But a straight up, no money, 100% player swap with FC Dallas for Marco Farfan acquired us Ryan Hollingshead, something that most LAFC fans feel is an absolute coup. Uh, He's 30 years old, spent his last eight seasons with FC Dallas, 193 appearances, 149 starts. He's got 18 goals and 15 assists. He's made 11 MLS Cup playoff appearances and appeared in Conca Champions six times. 
Additionally, he was the 2017 MLS Humanitarian of the Year. So we know that we're getting a good guy on the pitch and off the pitch as well, too. Uh, he's won a Supporters' Shield with them. He's got a Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup title, and he's a California native, went to UCLA. He was second all-team when he was here and certainly a Pac-12 first-teamer as well, too. And, of course, that means Farfan is out. He leaves after just one season with LAFC where he had 29 games, 21 starts. So what are your guys' thoughts on the addition of Hollingshead, given that it comes with the subtraction of Marco Farfan? I like Ryan. Um, he's He's been, I'd say, one of the defenders I actually admire in the league. Um, he was one of the partners for Walker before he came to LAFC, and he's always been a solid defender. He usually played in the center back. So I'm interested more to see um, if he's going to be flexible and play on the left side or the right side, because we lost some flexibility with Farfan. But overall, you know, having another experienced defender that part of our defending core is going to be really important, especially like I, I feel like this is where this tells us what the front office is thinking. You know, go all in this season, get some more experienced players, do something good in the summer transfer window and, you know, put all, all our chips in. Because I think 2018, 2019, I think that's what we had a good mix of youth and experience. And we haven't had that in a while. And I think Ryan Hollingshead is an important piece in the locker room. And if we do have injuries like we've had in the last couple of years, we're going to have some very serviceable starting caliber defenders to to not lose some of these onesie twosie games in the middle of the season that can cause us to drop in the seating or fall out of the playoff uh, run. So I really like the, the signing a lot. And I think sacrificing Farfan, even though he had a lot of potential, makes sense, especially if there's no uh, money loss, if it's a swap like for like. To echo what you had mentioned, Christian, it's it's going to be important. Uh, this front office is definitely saying what their intentions are by by filling in these positions in the defense. And I think that it's definitely going to be needed more this season than any of our previous two seasons, especially with the U.S. Open Cup coming back and us potentially just having more games and more matches throughout the season. We are also, this is the World Cup year, so there is going to be a lot of those international breaks that the MLS said that they're going to honor and things like that. It's just there are going to be more minutes played by more players than in the last two seasons. And so to have the amount of depth that we are acquiring is only going to be good for us to see the season out and lift a trophy at the end of the season. There were two people that we constantly spoke about in a negative light on this show with regards to LAFC players last season. Two players that we pointed a finger at saying they cost us points time and time again. If y'all remember, Raheem Edwards would be the first. And then, of course, you have Marco Farfan as the second. And those two players seem to constantly make big mistakes in big moments. Now, I know that they're very good players. They're professional athletes. They're near the top of their game. And they're certainly worthy of being in the MLS. And, you know, maybe kind of like with Christian Ramirez, this just wasn't the right place at the right time for them. But to see both of those amongst our subtractions and some healthy additions in regards to their replacements. I have to be very happy with this business. Hollingshead, I mean, despite being, you know, in the latter stages of his career, he's only 30 years old. There are still years left in those legs, right? It's not like he's 34, 36, and we're talking about somebody who's potentially 
got a year maybe left in them. He's probably got two to four years left in him. So we're still catching him near the end of his peak, right? He's still in good years. It's not like we picked up someone who's not serviceable anymore. He's not going to be a starter for us. We're talking about someone that's going to be a 20 to 30 minute guy. I'm ecstatic about that. Uh, I'm ecstatic about the subtraction of Farfan and Edwards and the additions that took their place, MLS veterans, championship pedigree, people that have a great track record in the community and in filling trophy cabinets. What is not to love about those signings? In addition to those two particular additions, we also added another goalkeeper to our ranks. Uh, So we picked up John McCarthy. Uh, So we have him signed through 2022 with a club option for the 23 season. Uh, He is also 29 years old uh, and spent the last couple seasons with Inter Miami, where he made a total of 21 appearances and 20 starts for them. Uh, He registered three clean sheets. He's a Philadelphia native. He's played over 3,000, close to 4,000 minutes in the MLS, 42 matches, has seven shutouts. He's played in the USL. Uh, He was with the Tampa Bay Rowdies for a while. He's got over 30 appearances there. He signed with the Union back in 2015, made his debut that year versus NYCFC. He helped the Union end up being runner-up in the 2015 US Open Cup, where he got the majority of his minutes. So look, this, this guy's got some pedigree as well, too. We're not talking about him coming in to take minutes from Cripo. This is really just another backup keeper to add to the likes of Tomas Romero. So whether that means Romero goes to the lights or McCarty goes to the lights or who stays up, we're going to have to wait and see. And who knows if even what we see on the opening day roster is going to be the same thing we see three months, six months down the road. But as far as backup keepers go, Gentlemen, what do you think of our new backup keeper in McCarty? I mean, again, it's just depth. It's all it's all about depth and opportunity. We needed to have a third goalkeeper to press so that, uh, you know, those goalkeepers that we have, the three that we have, are going to continue to press each other and, and get the best out of each other. And it's an opportunity. Uh, Tomas is promising and he's a, a younger goalkeeper, but this is an opportunity for him to potentially get more exposure, like you said, whether it's being sent down to Las Vegas or being our number two behind Cripo. But this is just another opportunity for competition. Competition always is a good thing. Great. No, we, we, we're getting a keeper with some experience. So hopefully knock wood, nothing happens to Cripo, but then we'll have Tomas Romero and McCarthy. They're ready to, to take the helm if needed, but some good competition, some actual experience amongst the three in MLS matches starting. So Overall, I think it's going to be one of the more competitive set of keepers that we've had in our five-year stint here. Exciting stuff. I think you can't ask for more out of a backup keeper if you want somebody serviceable that can come in. Big-time minutes, has performed well in big competitions. Obviously, he's going to have a brand-new goalkeeping coach to work with, which brings us to our next piece of news, the announcement of the assistant coaches and the rest of Dolo's staff that's happened since our last pod. So we've got Ante Razov, the boxer. He's hanging around. Great to see Razov being that piece of continuing from the Bob Bradley regime. We've got MDS coming back. So Mark Dos Santos uh, hops back down south of the border and returns to Los Angeles. He was previously an assistant coach with us, left to go be the head coach for the Vancouver Whitecaps. He and Cripo come south of the border back to LAFC. 
So that obviously shows that he still has a lot of ties to this club. We know a lot of his family members are still huge LAFC fans and that Los Angeles just felt like home to him, despite being relatively successful with Vancouver, certainly in his first season, uh, he decided that Los Angeles and LAFC was the place to be for someone who had gone from assistant coach to head coach to say that they are now coming back as an assistant coach once again and wanting to join LAFC, especially under the brand new staff of Steve Chirundolo. I think, again, just speaks volumes to the professionalism and the desire that people have to work for this organization. Uh, in addition to that, we have the announcement of Oka Nikolov is going to be our head of goalkeeping. So we got a brand new goalkeeper coach, a returning assistant coach, and another returning assistant coach who actually left the club uh, and went and got some head coach experience. So all things that mark as positives for me, really the only question mark I have is around head of goalkeeping. And as much as we loved the predecessor, you would have to point a finger at LAFC's goalkeeping throughout the first four seasons as a major area of opportunity. Whether you can put that on player personnel or put that on coaching, I think we certainly have an improvement at goalkeeper with Cripo, an improvement in backup as well too. But how is that going to work with a brand new goalkeeping coach? Fascinating to see how that's going to play out. But do you guys have any thoughts on the return of Razov? the re-return of Mark Dos Santos uh, and the addition of Nicolo. I think that it's an interesting dynamic. You know, Ante Razov was definitely someone who was in the running to be a head coach for LAFC. So for Ante to take the fact that he didn't get the job and still remain on staff with the person that was hired in lieu of him, I'm sure that Bob Bradley might've also given him an opportunity at some point to come to Toronto, all of these things that just makes it, it makes it interesting to think that Ante is still here and there's probably things that are keeping him here, whether it's LAFC specific or out things outside of LAFC, it shows the type of person that Ante is. And so that is something I wanted to point out is felt was admirable that that man is still here. And he even, and cause Ante could be a head coach anywhere in, in the MLS right now. There are teams that probably would take him as a head coach. And um, so I'm just, I'm glad that he's on our Glad that Mark is back and I'm forward to, you know, seeing how it's all going to play out. looks like Steve's going to have pretty good support in terms of coaching staff. looks like, you know, I did a quick Google of Oka Nikolov and he's been in in the league for some time with the union. Uh, looks like he was at the Galaxy briefly. Union again in DC United. I think DC United really wanted to keep him. Uh, I remember reading some about that. And um, I think Chicago was going after him. So, you know, sought after a goalkeeper. He had a pretty good career out in, in Germany as well. And then came to the MLS as a player briefly. So I, I think I think a fresh start with, with, with a goalkeeping coach and goalkeepers makes sense. I do think that that is something we were unable to solve for the first four years and signings and, and goalkeeping coach didn't necessarily make the, the keepers we did have noticeably better maybe over the course of a season, even though we had some good seasons with Tyler Miller in the, in the 2019. So it's turning the page on that. Not saying it's anyone's fault. I just think it didn't work and we have to change the formula. So looking forward to that being part of it and with Kripo being experienced, I think he's going to, they're going to be able to help each other. So I just feel like our spine and our back line, I'm more optimistic than I have been in the past. And it's just going to be a matter of getting rhythm offensively to perform. The final addition to the front office, and perhaps the one that 
hasn't gotten a whole lot of press and there hasn't been a whole lot of discussion about, but might end up being the most impactful and powerful signing both on and off the pitch for LAFC in this offseason is the addition of a new role, position, and person for the front office staff. We now have a director of football operations. Joining the team is none other than Marco Antonio Garces, who's going to be our first ever director of football operations. 49-year-old joins us after an 11-year run with Pechuca down in Liga MX, where he ran seven years as their sporting director uh, and worked as their chief scout and director of both football and sports sciences. Uh, he helped the club win the 2016 Liga MX title, 2017 Conca Champions League, and third place in the 2017 Club World Cup. Pachuca, during his reign of running their academies, won several trophies at a variety of different youth levels. And we all know the names of the big players that he helped develop within the El Tri side, as far as the Memo Ochoas and the players of the like that he has helped bring to the Mexican national team. He was a Mexican national team player. He played European football. He was with Liverpool for a while. He also played for Real Madrid. This is a guy who's played in Euro championships. He scouted for Manchester United as well, too, before coming to us. This is a man that has a huge list of pedigree behind him. And we know that there were a lot of very, very big clubs that wanted to bring him in. In a conversation that I had with him, he mentioned to me when asked, why didn't you go to any of those other big clubs? He said, LAFC was my first choice. When the second LAFC happened, I was ecstatic and I didn't even begin to consider any of those other options. We know those were some big Liga MX signs that he was talking about. So what exactly is a director of football operations going to do? Well, this is the person that really helps connect all of the academy systems all the way up to the first team. So it's his job to make sure that players starting at the very youngest levels of the youth leagues are developed across the Southland, not just in our current program uh, with LAFC Youth. He's going to try and reach out to other academies, players that are not part of particular academies, high school teams, local teams around the block. It's his job to funnel all of that talent through a mechanism that improves those players both physically and as human beings as well too. So he's going to be doing a lot of work in the community as far as raising up these young individual athletes in order to help them reach the next level, be it as a professional athlete or simply as human beings in life. So that is one facet of his job to make sure that the academy funnels all the way up to LAFC. Plus, he's going to have huge responsibilities in assisting JT in the scouting and player development side as well, too. Something that he has proven to be successful at the very highest level. And in speaking to this man, he is a brilliant football mind. He knows exactly what his job is and how to do it. And if he brings anything like the Pachuca model here to LAFC, this could be the most impactful signing of a generation. And I do not mean that to be an exaggeration. This really could be the smartest move this club has made in hiring since its inception and first roster. Now, that's certainly my inflated opinion about it. Obviously, gentlemen, the show is for you as well, too. I really want to hear your thoughts, Chris. You started it off last time. So, Christian, I'm going to fire to you. I agree with a lot of things you said. I think it's it's a coup. The fact that he he didn't stay in Liga MX or go somewhere else in South America or Europe, but LAFC were able to court him and 
execute the deal is a big deal because Pachuca, they've been a force, not maybe not as much recently, but in the early 2000s to the mid-teens when he had a lot of his hands in all that stuff, uh, they were performing at the League MX level and they did have that team that, you know, went and did well at the um, Club World Cup. But, you know, some of the, some of the notable players that he's, that he's helped execute deals to Europe, which doesn't happen a lot in Liga MX, doesn't do a good job of um, moving on some of their Mexican nationals or even some of the European players they bring on. They do a good job of keeping them within uh, Liga MX. But, you know, Chucky Lozano, we all know who he is, and he's playing right now at Napoli. You have Eric Gutierrez, PSV Eindhoven, and then Hector Herrera, who went to Porto, and now he's playing at Atleti. So, um, you know, really important, and let's, let's not, not not forget some of the things you said, that he's helped some a lot of, a lot of the academy players bring into Pachuca or get starting gigs at some of the other clubs. So he made a lot of money for Pachuca, but he also maintained the club's relevance and competing for titles year after year. And that's the goal, right? We want to make sure that every beginning of the season we have this anticipation where LFC is on the front foot as one of the contenders but also developing talent within the Southland or looking abroad to bring on to continue to uh, bolster the team. And I think we have one of the uh, top tier executives to be able to help take what the foundational work that JT and the rest of the club and owners have done to the next level. We've done a great job here within the league. We've uh, executed on creating some channels in South America and in Africa and um, some contacts in Europe. But I think using his Rolodex is going to take our reputation and uh, facilitate bringing in some additional resources that we didn't have before. And that's why I think it's a coup that no one in Liga MX, South America, or Europe was able to take his services away. Definitely a massive signing. Something that could very well be the biggest signing LAFC has had since our original roster. And I know that that is, that is a bold statement to make, uh, and I'm willing to, to step back and hold myself accountable for that decision. So let's go ahead and move on to our predictions for the upcoming game and upcoming season. So it's also, it's not just a return of Mark Anthony K to the bank. It's also a return of Kellen Acosta against his former team too. So I think that there is definitely going to be a little bit of tension out on the pitch And I think that it's going to be a well-played match. And I think that LAFC is going to come out and win two to one. I feel like it's going to be a close game, but I think that it'll end up being two to one in favor of LAFC. And I do think that we are going to see a little bit of the chippiness, a little bit going back and forth as the game progresses. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, we have U.S. men's national team player and Canadian national team players on our team. And then, of course, on the other side, there are U.S. men's national team and Canadian national team players on the Colorado Rapids. And so I think that there is also a little bit of the competitiveness that is carried over from the um, international playing that's going on right now in the World Cup qualifiers and things like that. So it'll just be an interesting dynamic, to say the least. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think there is going to be some friendly animosity, if that's a uh, good oxymoron to use, with some of the some of the way that the end of the season, right? We wanted to beat them to get in, number one. K went over there. We got Acosta. I, I think we have done better transfer window business i think we have a stronger team going into the season i think they lost some other players from their starting 11 in addition to acosta and i don't think they've been able to replace 
them with as good or better players yet. So I think they're going to be a playoff team, but I, I don't know if they're at the same place on paper at this point as LAFC to start the season. So I think we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll get a good result. You know, it's also the uh, return of Stephen Betashore. Also true. True. Good point. So, you know, it'll be a lot of coming home, warm welcomes. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm not so sure Mac will get the warmest of welcome. A beta shore, definitely. Mac made some some comments publicly that might get him a few jeers from the faithful. We shall see. I think it's advantage LAFC for a number of reasons. One, I think personnel-wise, we simply have a more talented team. Two, no one knows exactly what LAFC is going to do. And I think that's advantage LAFC. Because no one knows exactly what our style of play is going to be, what the tactics are going to be. So it's going to be very difficult for Colorado to prepare versus a Bob Bradley team. You know exactly what you're getting every single game. Steve Chirundolo has said that his game plan week in and week out is going to be to win. Whatever he thinks is to beat the team in front of him, that's the tactic that he wants to take. Yes, he wants to play beautiful, free-flowing, high-scoring, elegant football. But if that's not what it takes to win the game, he's come out and said, I'm going to do what it takes to win a game. And so I love that he's danced around virtually every idea you could possibly have in the world of football in those statements to keep it very cryptic for all the other teams out there exactly what we're going to see from LAFC, which means it's going to be a lot of slow game reaction from Colorado early on as they attempt to pick apart and discover. And I think that gives LAFC a chance to get out on the front foot. And if this team starts scoring, we've seen it already. The goals can start flooding in. I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of pent up frustration on this team about how last season ended. And I think they're going to take that out on Colorado. And this is going to be a statement game early on in the season. I think it's going to be a decisive win for LAFC with the 3252 and the bank of California behind them. I think this new team is going to come out. There's a lot of players that are really fired up to make an impression on the fans for their first game ever, whether it's Cropo and goal, whether it's guys throughout the defense and midfield that we've signed, or whether it's Vela, who's now playing for a contract, whether it's Raito, who's playing to prove that he's worth the transfer, or whether it's some of these guys coming back from injury like Opoku. There's just so many people that have a reason to step up for LAFC and Colorado. If I'm their players, I might be frustrated that some of their best talent has left and the acquisitions that that team has made are not necessarily in line with their departures. So I think we have two teams heading in different directions at the moment, and I think all of that spells victory for LAFC, which really leads me to my next question, gentlemen, and that is, let's go ahead and get our preseason predictions out of the way. Where do you see this team after the first 15 games by the summer window? by the end of the season, and by the postseason. So, yes, I'm asking you the very difficult four-part question here. So, to reiterate, I want your impression after 15 games, summer window, the season as a whole, and postseason. And you know what? Screw it. I'm going to layer a fifth one in there just to make it more difficult. How are we going to do versus Carson as well, too? That's a lot. So, Christian, I'm going to lay it on you first, brother. Yeah, first 15. This is in terms of seating, I, I imagine, is what you mean? So you can give me any any answer to that question you want. It's open-ended okay. for a reason. You could tell me what you think the exact position is going to be in the table. You could tell me what their win-loss is going to be or just what you're looking for for 15 games. Uh, I think first 15 will be in fourth place. By summer window, I think 
maybe third, because I do think you didn't ask this, but I think Seattle is going to be strong, and I think there's going to be another team that we we don't know yet is going to be fighting for those top four positions. Uh, versus Carson, I think we'll take both this year, home and away. Season's end, I'd say top three seeds is my expectation. In postseason, I have us going into the Western Conference final, minimum into the final, hosting hopefully. And you know, I know I want a championship this year. This is this is what it feels like right now. So we'll talk. We'll talk in a few episodes after a handful of matches. Championship this year. You know, insert title here. I like that title. All right, uh, I'm gonna go with a record. So after the first 15 games, I've got us at seven wins, four ties, and three losses. I haven't even looked at the schedule to see where our first 15 matches are, but that's what I feel like. I feel like we're gonna have seven, seven, four, and three. In the summer window, I think that we're going to be hovering around uh, third place. And I think that to echo what Christian was saying, Seattle is going to be good. I think Nashville is going to be good. And I I think that, of course, there's always going to be the Portland's and the um, uh, RSL's and the Sporting Kansas City's. And one of those one of those three three clubs is also going to be uh, a contender for the top four positions versus Carson again. Not even it's not even a question. We're going to take both of them this season. Did you guys see the advertisement that the Galaxy were putting out for the opening match? There was uh, they have the new signing Costa on their team. So for twenty four dollars, you would get two tickets to the first game of the season and another game down the line. And so it's like if you're doing this kind of deal for your opening season, it just seems like that fan base is, is not there. The, the front office doesn't think very highly of what they have to offer. If they have to sell some kind of promotion to get seats fans in the stands during the opening, the home opener, the end of the regular season. I do not think we're going to have the supporter shield because that supporter shield is bad luck for any team that gets the supporter shield. So it's not going to be us because I don't need that bad luck. I think we're going to be sitting pretty at second place. And then into the postseason, we are going to be hosting the Western conference finals and then uh, we're going to win that game and go on to the uh, MLS Cup. And that's my prediction. I love it. I love it. All right, so I'm going to break it down for you real quick. The first 15 games of the season. Colorado, I've already talked about. Our next games versus Portland. Portland is a real question mark this season because their franchise is falling apart around them. Their supporters are furious. Their front office is in all kinds of trouble. Who knows how that's going to affect the players on the pitch? Are they going to lose heart or are they going to rally around it? At this point, it's anybody's guess. But it's going to be hard to say with all the drama and circus that is going on around the Portland team right now, well-deserved for some terrible, terrible news that's come out of there, just tragic stuff as far as how their team has responded to all of these allegations. I I think Portland's going to be a mess, at least for the first half of the season. And if they pick it up and rally halfway through, which they certainly have the talent to do, then I could see Portland being a contender for a second half push. But I think it's going to be a very difficult start to the year for Portland. So I think LAFC are doing well there. Vancouver, a lot of subtractions from that team. Not a whole lot of additions to that team. Brand new coach. And let's be honest, they don't have Kripo. And Kripo is the one who kept them in virtually every game they were in last year. He was one of the biggest reasons that team was as successful as they are. They do not have as good a keeper this year. And I think that is going to be a big, big, big thing when talking about Vancouver. Orlando, I don't see it. Our next game is versus Carson. 
I really feel that LAFC versus Carson this year, we're going to see a very different approach tactically and a much more successful approach, one that utilizes the fact that we are a vastly more talented squad and that Carson has not improved very much on what was a very poor defensive team last year. They've really focused on, once again, bringing in older stars to try and sell tickets, something that, as Chris alluded to, clearly hasn't been very successful, and they did not fix the big problems they have with that team. They have a great keeper who had a phenomenal year and kept them in a lot of games. How sustainable is that? The defense, to me, just does not look like a team that is really going to step up. You know, Next, we have Sporting Kansas City. I could see that going either way, but the game is at the bank, but that is certainly one that you have to put a question mark around. The game versus Cincinnati, we should smoke them. Next game versus Minnesota, again, it's at the bank. You never know how those games can go. They have a particularly decent team, but that's one you'd have to put a question mark. That's really only two we've got a question mark around. Uh, Next, we face Philadelphia, then Colorado again, then Austin, then Columbus, then San Jose. And that brings us to June. I just don't see more than two or three games in which I really – feel that we're going to be facing competition that is capable of beating LAFC at their best. So it's hard for me to look at the first 15 games of the season and see anything more than three losses as a reasonable expectation. And I know people are going, you're crazy. You can't expect three losses in 15 games. I I really think we have a pretty soft start to this season. We certainly have the talent to run the table if they can put it together. We have the depth, we have the pieces, and that's with two-thirds of our DP slots taken. I don't think it's really till we get into June that we start facing the likes of Seattle and some of the other teams in which I feel we could really start slipping down. So through the first 15 games of the season, I think this team is a lock. As far as our games versus Carson, I know the opinions of the 3252 that were expressed to the front office. I know that Dolo is going to run those games differently than Bob did. And I think that it's going to be a far more effective result by the summer window. I really think is when LAFC, if healthy, are going to be looking to add that DP player. And it's simply going to be an assessment of where the squad is at at that point in time. And we have this bullet in the gun to go out and use. If we get to a point in that summer window where we see that we have a need in the midfield, maybe one of our offensive or defensive players, you know, gets hurt or we see a hole develop somewhere in the team, we have that DP slot to not only go out and fill that hole, but to fill that hole without a major subtraction to the squad and no salary cap affected, you can go out and get the best possible player. So I think from the summer window on, you can really only see, barring injury, LAFC improving from that point on. They'll have more minutes and more time adapting to Torundolo's style. So we get a very light schedule to begin with, with teams that we don't expect to be very good at the end of the season. And then once we start hitting the bigger, better teams, we're going to have a chance to get into our stride and a chance to spend that DP bullet that's left behind. So throughout the beginning of the season, I wouldn't be surprised to see LAFC in the top two, three teams. By the summer window, when things start to normalize a little bit, I still think we're going to be hanging around that third place or higher spot. And I do think that this team right now on paper has the ability to win the West and certainly has the ability to compete for a supporter shield. I don't necessarily think that's going to be what Toronto is going to accomplish in his first season, but I wouldn't be surprised if we are in the running late in this season for supporter shield, even if it doesn't come our way. Now, as far as the end of the season goes, uh, I've already sort of expressed my thoughts about the Carson games. I really feel we're going to dominate there, but 
Just looking through the West right now, you've got the likes of Austin, Colorado, Dallas, Houston, RSL, San Jose, and Vancouver that I'm already going to say right now we're going to finish below us on the table unless those teams do something bigger than the sum of their parts currently, which means it's really up to the sporting Kansas cities, the who knows what's going on with Portland, the Nashvilles, the Minnesotas of the world to really step up. Between those teams, again, I just don't see Carson's defense as being a top five defense. So it, it kind of narrows the field down to Minnesota, Nashville, Seattle for me, and a huge question mark around what is going to happen with Portland this year. I think we're a better team than both Minnesota and Nashville, and I think it's going to be Seattle LAFC 1-2 as we're going down. I think that's likely to be your Western Conference Finals. Seattle is a team that has certainly given it to us in many, many post seasons. And I think this is the year we get over that hump and make it to the MLS cup. And from there, you know, who knows who comes out of the East. I think for me, a success this season would be to make it to the MLS cup and to simply play in that game. I know that might frustrate a lot of people out there who believe it's win or nothing, but in a one game winner take all final, so many different things can happen. We saw it with a twist to getting a red card and it completely messed up our chances at a CCL final. But I think this is the year we make it to the finals and seeing who comes out at that point, it's, it's, it's kind of a coin flip. Obviously I'm picking LAFC to win it all, but I think on paper it's us versus Seattle in the Western conference finals. And I'd be hard pressed to think of another team outside of the potential of a Nashville or a Minnesota really stepping up to contend us with, again, that huge question mark around Portland. So I'm going to have to agree with you, boys. This is a season that I have very, very high expectations for, and I think those expectations are validated when you look at the remaining teams within this conference and exactly what we have on paper. But, of course, the game is not played on paper. So we're looking forward to seeing each and every one of you on Saturday. Let's get there early. Let's make sure we don't get caught in a parking jam and are not able to make it into the stadium until after kickoff. We, again, it is a 1230 kickoff. So show up on the lane early. We know everybody's going to be serving breakfast. Each one of these SGs has had a whole offseason to prepare for today. And if I was a fan outside of the 3252, wink, wink, I would be in that stadium early so that you can catch everything that goes on before we finally kick off that ball. With that being said, gentlemen, those are my final words of the night. Do you have anything you'd like to send the lovely listeners home with before we call it quits? Yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody. You know what? This is the beginning of our fifth season as a club, and it's our fourth season as a pod. And so uh, I just really want to thank everybody for, you know, being listeners, being followers. If you see us at any point during the season, feel free to come up and say hi. We love interacting with our fans and, um, again, if anyone is ever interested in coming on and telling your story, uh, we would love to have you on as a guest. See you all at the back, season five. Looking forward to it. Thank you all for listening to episode 108 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. As always, you can reach out to us at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms, or you can fire off an email to Chris, Christian, or Jonathan at LAFCS2S.com, and we would happily respond to any of your correspondence game day jokes, banter, thread, and again, echoing what Chris said, if you want to come on the show and have a chat with us about your story and how it led you to the black and gold, we'd love to have you on. But from all of us to each one of you, we'll see you at the bank. Until then, 
Take us home, Sticks.